let me ask, just as we uh, get going this morning, how many of you all have had a paper route before? You've had a paper route? Yeah, yeah, lots, lots of paper route horror stories, I'm sure, in here uh, this morning. My first paper route, actually my only paper route, I worked for the Star Herald, that famous uh, publication uh, out of Oak Forest, Illinois. We delivered, or I delivered, on twice a week, Thursday morning, Sunday morning. So what that meant was I stayed up late Wednesday night and Saturday night waiting for the delivery guy to come by and drop off my bundle of papers I dragged them into the basement and got my box of rubber bands. And remember this, you'd roll them up and stick them in that canvas bag. And then uh, bright early Thursday morning and bright early Sunday morning, some godforsaken time, you get up and you put that bag strapping on the handlebars of your bike. And then rain or snow, it didn't matter. You had to deliver these things or you got yelled at. And so off you went. And then what I had to do, and this was a goofy thing with the, with the uh, Star Herald, everybody got got the paper no matter what but i still had to go collecting so whether you paid or not you still got a paper so believe it or not some folk paid i don't know why but i would go and i would try to collect money and they would you know some folk would yell at me and tell me i put the paper in the bushes and all this stuff and i would take all kinds of abuse but at the end of that i would then take the money to the star herald's office and they would give me my check for a whopping 12 bucks for the month and i was rich you know, right? You look at that going, oh, what am I going to do with all this money? And no one had taught me uh, how to properly understand finances. Uh, my folks never went through anything with me. I, I was a kid. I didn't know. You know, I had my E.F. Hutton's name was Earl Abercrombie. He had some ideas for what I should do with my money. But I kind of watched my parents and tried to figure out what I was supposed to do. And most of us, my guests in here, are probably along that, those lines. We had to figure it out ourselves. As we got older, we read a book, we went to a conference, whatever else. There's probably some folk in here who are trained in economics or finance, and they're the gurus. But for the most of us, we just had to figure this thing out along the way. But here's my question, formally trained or not, what has influenced your understanding, your thinking of finances? Your parents, good role models maybe, I don't know. Uh, school, uh, how about God? That, that's our question we're, we're, we're asking this morning because this is a pretty important question because if you make $25,000 a year in your lifetime, approximately speaking, you will have a million dollars pass through your hands. If you make $50,000 a year, approximately speaking, in your lifetime, you're going you're to have $2 million pass through your hands. I mean, that's a lot of accountability. You know, it, it, the scripture lets us know that we're going to have to give answer for that. Second Corinthians 5.10. Well, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. One day we're going to stand before him and he's going to say, Hey, I gave you $3 million. What did you do with it? We're going to be going, What? You did? Ah, we should probably figure that out now, right? Before the time we stand before him and we get to hear that question. It's time to ask, ask ourselves that now. Because of the fact there is accountability. Because of the fact that Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Your heart can't serve both God and money. And what he meant by that was the number one competitor for your heart's love, for your, your compassion, for your allegiance, is not some other God. It's money. Because of the fact that Scripture speaks so much about this subject, because of the fact that we have incredible financial crises times that we're living in, it's important that we look at this. And that's why we've launched into this, this series for these three weeks, Confessions of a Stuffaholic. 
And, and our, our goal was, again, to see, not, not, hang on your watch, right? We're not talking about how to give it. Scripture, more often than not, it does address that. But more often than not, it talks about how to live with it, how to manage your finances, how to think about them. And that's our goal before the time the the series is done is to have you and I a little more transformed in our thinking along these lines that we're thinking about finances just a little bit more from God's perspective. And then last week, what we talked about is we had had three observations, three principles from God's word that kind of the, the, the undergirding of the matrix that we want all of our financial decisions to flow through. First principle was this. It was an Andy Stanleyism. And it said that this, that God does not want anything from you, but everything for you. We think, oh, God wants my money. If God wanted your money, he'd take it. He's God. He can do that. God doesn't need your money, though. What he knows is that your heart's only got one compartment in it. It only holds one thing at a time. And as long as money is there, that's my security. My allegiance is there. It can't be to him. And so if that's there, it's keeping you. From, from an incredible life that he has for you. He doesn't want anything from you, but everything for you. Second observation we went over last week is that consumption does not equal contentment. Remember, this is what, not what the marketers will tell us. But of course, if it did, we would only have to make that one purchase and then we'd be content, we'd be fine. But we know it wears off. We need more and we need more and we need more. It's just a, 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 we're an addicts to, to this sometimes. The third principle we went over last week is that 100% of everything is from God and for God. Everything has come from him. I mean, we might say we work for it. He's given us the energy. He's given us the ability. uh, He's given us the opportunities to to make it. Everything comes from him, him, and we are more um, stewards. We are managers, not so much owners, and for him. Now, this this morning, what we want to do is we want to go back to one of the uh, great biblical stuffaholics that we looked at last week, Solomon. As, now, Solomon is, is an incredible guy. He's written some scripture. Not only did he write the book of Ecclesiastes, we looked at last week, but he's also read Song of Solomon. We're not talking about that this morning. And also, he's written the majority of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs, I don't know if you've read Proverbs lately. Proverbs is a fascinating, fascinating book. It doesn't read like a narrative, you know, where you've got a story, a beginning and an end, and main characters and stuff like that. It doesn't read like a psalm, you know, poems from, from the heart of, of somebody who's thirsty for God to God. It doesn't read like one of the prophets, the heart of God, down to a disobedient, rebellious people. It doesn't read like one of the epistles, you know, Paul's got his argument, he's going to trace it out. It's radically different. You've got a man whose boy is getting ready to leave home. And the man's saying, okay, I have got to train my son for for, for when he leaves home. And so he he gives him all kinds of things that you can imagine we can get tripped up on in life. He says, okay, boy, listen to me. Son, when you leave home, let me tell you what will happen to you if you get tangled up with the wrong woman. Proverbs is a good book. It'll say, this is how you can find the right woman. This is what to look for. He will talk about loyalty and work ethic and speech and friends and money as well. You know, I get a new Bible probably every seven years. And I read through it every year. I've been doing it for about 20 years. And the first few years of my Bible, I like to, to color code it. You know, every verse in the Bible that says anything about prayer, I've gotten blue. And well, of course, money in my Bible is green. And if you were to go through my book of Proverbs in my Bible, you would find lots of green because Solomon talks a lot about money. Now, here's the deal. 
Solomon is, has had more cash, Scripture tells us, more things than anyone else in the history of the world. He would make Warren Buffett and Bill Gates look like paupers. And, and he is, his understanding of, script, of, of, of God's view of money, his understanding of finance, this guy is like Charles Schwab and Payne, uh, Smith Barney and Payne Weber and E.F. Hutton and God all rolled up into one. And so when he talks about finances... It behoove us to listen. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to look at, at one principle that, that Solomon knows his boy's going off. He's going to face this world. He needs to get this down in his head if he's going to make it. And that principle is found in Proverbs chapter 6. So if you've got Proverbs chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles with, with you this morning, and I hope you do. Listen, even though we put it on the screen, please don't get lazy on us. Bring your Bible. If you need one, you don't have one, steal one out of the pew in front of you. That's okay. I'll cover for you. We'll be all right. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, though. And let me give you the principle on the front end, and then we'll unpack it. The principle is this. Honoring God with your finances requires black ink, not Red ink. Okay? Simple enough. Makes lots of sense to us. But honoring God with your finances requires black ink, not red ink. Let's start right in chapter 6, verse 1. And it's talking, it starts off talking about erasing the red ink. And he says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have struck hands in pledge for another, if you have been trapped by what you said and ensnared by the words of your mouth, Then do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Now, this this issue of security for your neighbor. Scripture often will translate that surety. And what that means is the acquiring of indebtedness. Requiring of a debt where you don't have the finances on the front end to pay for it. That's what it means. And here he's looking at the indebtedness of another. This striking hands in a pledge would be kind of like our handshake, you know, shake on it. But actually, in our culture, it's probably more akin to signing on the bottom line. It's legally binding. And he's saying you better think twice before you get yourself into a legally binding financial obligation. Because that'll hurt you. Now, this is spoken of throughout Scripture in a negative way multiple times. Just a couple places. Proverbs eleven fifteen. it says, He who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands and pledge is safe. A man lacking in judgment strikes hands and pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Now, you know, there's enough ambiguity here in, in the text that I thought maybe, maybe there's more than just, you know, co-signing kind of deal. So I ended up calling a professor, Old Testament professor at Trinity Seminary. I called a buddy of mine who chairs the Old Testament department at Columbia International University. Uh, Christian Missionary Alliance uses his Old Testament text in their MSP program. And I asked both these guys, I said, is it just me or is it possible that these texts may be talking more than just co-signing here. They're also talking about, generally speaking, consumer debt. And both these guys, independently from each other, said, absolutely, the text is talking about consumer debt. What he's saying is, is you better think twice before you enter hastily into a situation where you are putting yourself into a legal financial obligation for debt 
Think twice before you go into indebtedness. Now, it's important for us to look and see what he doesn't say real quick, because he's not saying all debt is always sin. He's not saying that. There, catastrophes come up, right? Issues happen in, in life. And the Old Testament gives us guidelines for loaning and for paying back. So all, all, all debt is not sin. It's important that we understand that. But don't let that allow you to take the teeth out of this text and what he's really saying here. Because your financial advisors will let you know that usually people get into problem, problems not because of the big catastrophe that happens, but because of consumer debt. And they'll let us know that the key reason for consumer debt is folk living outside their means. It's what Dave Ramsey will say. You're not acting your wage. You're living outside of their, their financial ability. That, that's, that is the, the issue. You know, I'm told that the average American carries eight to $9,000 in credit card debt. Man, what a deal, huh? One in 11 Americans will rent a storage unit because they've got so much stuff, their home won't be able to carry it. And so they've got to build bigger barns for this kind of thing. They've got to get that on. Now, the debt has been called the most aggressively marketed product today. And the genius behind it is it sounds real cheap, doesn't it? I mean, they make it sound like it doesn't cost you anything. Matter of fact, it's a wonderful deal. You know, you really want this thing and, and your, your heart's breaking for it. And the marketer guys have done a great job and you're kind of drooling over this thing. But you're broke. What do you do? Not a problem. Credit to the rescue. Yes, our hero. And, and credit comes in 90 days, same as cash. No payments until 2013. And you're going, 2013? Jesus could come back by 2013. I'm going to get a new job by then and I'll sell that thing. And life will be better. I'll have stuff balanced out. And of course, what a deal. Yes, I'll go this way. But that is so, so easy to get into, isn't it? And so, so difficult to get out of. Oh, man, before Teresa cleaned me up on this one. But before we were married, again, my EF Hutton was Earl Abercrombie and don't go to Earl. Uh, so uh, when I got when I got first came in the pastor, my, my package was sixteen thousand dollars. And that was all my benefits and everything. And they're probably about, uh, I don't know, fourteen thousand. That was benefits. I feel like that anyway. And so I was I was getting those letters. Don't you hate those letters? I was getting those letters. We're sending you to collection and we're going they're just threatening you with everything in the world. And I'm going, oh, man, every time you would open one of those envelopes, it's like oh, I knew it was going to be just a despair, a pit in your stomach. Oh, it was an awful, awful feeling uh, that is easy to get into. But oh, so difficult to get out of. Now, you, you know, um, look what he says here. This is interesting. How. Solomon, what, what he equates a person in debt to. Verse 4, he says, Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. My guess is, I'm thinking you're going to agree with me, that the hunter is not planning on just tagging that gazelle and letting him get back out into the, the wilderness. And he's, he's just doing this so he can guard his habitat and make sure the species flourishes. That's probably not on the hunter's mind. The, the hunter's got plants for that gazelle's hide, right? And, and the fowler, what's he thinking about the bird? Well, he's thinking about plucking that bird. And, and the, the gazelle and the, the bird, my guess, 
are really not aware of the extent of danger they're in. And this is the picture that Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chooses for one who's in debt. He says, you're in an awful lot of trouble here. You really are. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, 6, 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. If you borrow anyone else's money, they're not going to leave you alone, are they? You borrow anyone else's money and you're not going to be able to make decisions about the future without considering them. They're going to stick to you like a wet t-shirt, aren't they? Till they get their money back and then some. Uh, you know, it was 87 and I just got into the pastorate and I was driving, I don't even know what year, but it was a rusted up, beat up Pinto wagon. And I loved it though. And it was a great car and I thought it was wonderful. But the parents, see, I was youth pastor of the kids I was taking around were a little bit suspect in my car. And so they put pressure on the senior pastor who put pressure on me. He said, Mark, it's time to buy yourself a car. And I should have said, you only pay me 16000 a year. But I didn't even think about that. I said, oh, okay, sure. So he had an ad from Ford. They had a sale. Of course, what else they do? They sell cars, right? So I went there one, one weekend, and I figured out my, my budget the best I could. And I thought I could had $163 a month I could spend for a car. And so I went out there, and the ad said they'd work with me. So, okay, this is going to be a good deal. And so I checked out. And I picked out a beautiful uh, burgundy Ford Escort GL. Oh, it was a great car. A uh, wonderful car. Smelled new. It was just a nice car. I, I sat down with the man and he said, oh, let's talk about this. And I said, wonderful. I said, I, said, I like this car. He said, that's a good choice. And I thought it was. And, he, and I said, but I've only got $163 a month. And he said, whoa, whoa, how much you got down? And I forget what it was, but some minimal amount. And he said, oh, well, you know what? We need to get you into a cheaper car. I said, well, I, I don't like a cheaper car. I like that car. And he said, well, not for $163 a month. I said, well, there's another Ford guy down the block who's having a sale, too. And so I think I'll go check him out. And he said, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. You don't need to go check him out right now. I'll tell you what, let me go talk to the manager. I come to find out the manager's a nice man is what I found out. And so he talked to the manager and he came back. And again, I don't know all the figures specifically. It's been a long time. But he said something like, well, you know, the manager really is having a good day today. And he likes you. He, does, he doesn't mention you, but he likes you. And he's going to let you have that car for $180 a month. I go, $180 a month. He said, yes, sir, that's quite the deal. And he's lowered, and this is what it really costs, and this is the sticker. But we're going to drop it down because of you. It's your lucky day, Mr. Ayers. And I said, wow. I said, well, that's the best. He said, that's the best. And I said, well, okay. And so I got up. He said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I got $163 a month. He said, let me go talk to the manager. So he goes talk to the manager. Manager's a nice man. Comes back. Well, this man, I don't know. I can't even get deals like this for my grandmother, Mr. Harris. But he must think that you're his son because he's giving, he's going to give you that car for $173 a month, whatever it is. And, and this is this incredible deal. And you'll never find a big deal like this. And it's just a steal. And we're getting ripped off on this one. But we're going to let you have it because we like you. And on and on and on. And I said, so that's the best you can do. He says, that's the best you can do. And I really thought it was the best it could do. So I said, well, all right. And so I got up. He said, well, what are you doing getting up? I said, well, I've only got $163. He said, you don't understand how this is supposed to work, do you? <laughs> you come in with a price, and we give you our price, and then we meet in the middle. But we're the one moving, and you're not moving. I said, I've only got $163 a month. I can't move. He said, I'm going to go talk to the manager. <laughs> he comes back, and he was, he was angry. He was, he was really angry with me. Boy, he was, I was his best friend earlier, but now he's upset at me. He said, all right. $163.04 and you come in every month and I personally will pay you the four cents. I figured I could meet par partially on this thing. Okay, I can deal with four cents. That would work. 
So I got myself a new Ford Escort GL. I paid on that baby for about 18 months. And then I started not liking paying for this thing. Every single month I had to write a check to Ford Motor Credit. I didn't care for that too much. So I called Ford Motor Credit and I said, you know, I don't like this. Uh, we got to fix this. So I'm going to sell my car. I said, so first thing I need to know is how much my car is worth. And he said, okay, your car is worth, and I, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. But he said something like, your car is worth $4,000. I said, oh, all right. Uh, how much do I owe on that car? He said, okay, I'll tell you how much you owe, but you need to understand that regardless of what I tell you here, you have to, how much it's worth, you have to pay what you owe. And I said, well, okay. He said, you owe $6,000. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The car's worth $4,000, but I owe $6,000? He said, that's absolutely right. I said, well, that's no good. I said, we got to fix this. Okay, okay, what if I just quit paying? You guys will just come repo the car and we're okay. I'll just leave the keys in it. We'll be okay. And he said, oh, we will partially correct here. We will come repo your car, but then we'll take you to court for the rest of the money. And then you will incur other payments as well that you probably don't want to incur right now. And he was right on that one. I thought, oh, man, what a trap. What a trap. You know, the hardest thing at, at that point is I didn't have, I mean, I was a single guy. I didn't I have other than these creditors lining up behind me. I didn't have a whole lot of, of uh, expenses. But I had kids in my youth group. It was a small youth group. We didn't have a huge budget. And I, wanted to ha- I really did want to help kids get to retreat and get to conference and do those kind of things. But every time I wanted to help them out, look behind me and there was Mr. Ford Credit. Doesn't credit do that to us? You ever have that situation where someone presents something and it's a need? And you've heard a million needs, but you know this one, something rings in your heart. And you're going, yes. I am supposed to be part of the solution for this thing. And you you really want to. And you feel it. Yes, this is mine. It's got my name on it. But you look behind you and there's Mr. Visa and Mr. MasterCard and Mr. Shell Oil and Mr. Cole's Charge. And and you can't. The the debt has stolen from from you and I the joy of being able to help out, of being able to be generous. That, That does that to us, doesn't it? It steals that from us. I remember when I was in, uh, back in the 87, I think I already bought my, my, my car at this point. But I was in a ministerium with other Alliance pastors, and I was a young kid, but I sat down with all these other ancient days pastors from the Alliance, and they brought in this financial consultant guy, and he said, I forget all of what he said, but he said one thing that stuck in my head even to this day. He said, there are two types of people in the world, those who understand interest and those who pay it. Well, I didn't understand interest. I don't today understand. But I knew I didn't want to pay it. I thought I should be in the other category. That has stuck with me so much. It's interesting. Look what he says in verses 4 and 5. If you find yourself in a, in a uh, debt mess, you find yourself with too much red ink, he says, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. In other words, take care of this before tomorrow. Get a plan now. Do something this afternoon. Let me ask you, if you are seeing red right now, if, if red ink is, is permeating your, your books, and you're feeling the pressure, you know what I'm talking about, but you're saying, I don't know how to get out of this mess. FAC has some trained personal financial consultants. I talked with one this week. He said he'd be more than happy to meet with you 
and to go over how to apply some of the biblical principles to your specific situation. If you find yourself in the, uh, a mess, maybe it's someone else, maybe it's not you, just email me this week. You don't have to give me any details other than I'd like to talk to that guy. And I will forward that on, and that will be between you and that other person. Now, David Batstone, he's the uh, editor, founding editor for Business 2.0 and co-editor for Sojourners. He says this. He says, want some free financial consultation? It won't take more than a few seconds. I promise I won't need to review your bank statements or even glance at your balance sheet. Yet for at least 90% of you, my remedy will be the single most critical step you could take on the road to financial health. Reduce and then eliminate your personal debt. A, 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 a understanding, a financial understanding that honors God erases the, the red ink, but it also acquires black ink. Let's go on. Verse 6, he says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Solomon just tells it the way it is. You sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Ants. You have a brain of an ant? I guess it's a pretty small brain. If it's got a brain, I don't know. But uh, it's, a, it's a creature that we think we are obviously superior to. But, but ants in this may be superior to us. See, ants know what time it is. Some people right, live in the past. They're always looking at life through the lens of a camera. Some folk live in, in the present. They don't care about the past or the future. It's just all about today. Others just live in the future. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. But ants, they know what time it is. They know that it's summer time. And they know it's not a matter of if winter comes. They're not on the equator someplace. They know that when winter, winter is going to come, winter always comes. And for us to expect winter not to come, we're going through life, we're barely making it, and then some catastrophe happens, and we're going, whoa, what was this about? Well, this is just what life is. Ants understand that winter is coming. It will be here. And to live a life as if it's not going to come is to not even have the brain of an ant. Now, Solomon says, go there, you sluggard. You know, the sluggard is an interesting name. Uh, a sluggard may not be a mean person, right? It's not talking about their temperament. Maybe a kind person, maybe a very likable person. You might want to hang with the sluggard. The sluggard is a friend and they might be loyal to you and they might be funny. They might be a nice guy. But the sluggard is a procrastinator, isn't he? And he's procrastinating in this area in a major, major way. Uh, what folk will say sometimes about this point in this message, they would say, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not supposed to store up for myself treasures on earth. What about that? Yeah, yeah, come on. If I'm storing up for myself treasures on earth, then I'm not trusting God for my future, Right? That's what some folk might, might say. Yeah, this is uh, true. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart, or there your heart will be also. Keep in mind, he's not talking about savings here, is he? Isn't he talking, tell me if I get this wrong, isn't he talking about using all of your finances for you? And so, of course, you can't have a, a, a savings account where basically you're hoarding 
and really it's all to protect me and it's about able to protect my lifestyle and all the things I want. Yeah, that's that's obviously not not right. He's he's, he's bashing that one. But but he's not talking about storing up for winter. Scripture's not going to going to contradict itself, will it? Next verse. Proverbs 22, I believe. 21, excuse me. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Let me ask you. God can protect your future. I know he's God. Would you jump out of a plane at 10,000 feet without a parachute because your God's big enough to keep you from hitting the ground hard? He's big enough to do that, isn't he? Of course he is. He's God. Or would you jump out of the plane without the parachute because your God is big enough to do that? I don't think so. Satan tempted Jesus with this one, if I'm not mistaken. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down without a parachute. That's my addition. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Don't worry about it, Jesus. But what does Jesus say? It's also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not follow scripture's injunctions here and, and seek to be adding black ink to your, to your books, to your future, is equivalent, in my estimation, to jumping out of the airplane without a parachute. Can God cover you? Absolutely he can. But he doesn't honor going against wisdom, going against, going against his word. Now, what do, you, what do we do with this? Verse 9, he says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? He's still in the sluggard thing, isn't he? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. This is quoting the sluggard here. Then he says, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now, the, the sluggard, is the sluggard saying... That's the most ludicrous thing I have ever heard. I am not going to do that. Sluggard's not going down that road. Sluggard's saying, sounds good. Yeah, makes sense. <clears throat> I'll deal with this tomorrow. Is that what the sluggard's saying here? Right now I've got to rest. I've got other things going on. I will deal. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to be on. I'm putting this on my to-do list tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to be working on this maybe next weekend. No, no, I'm going on vacation next week. The following weekend, after, after I paint the kids' room. See, that's when, well, we're getting close to Christmas. And then you know how Christmas is. So actually, this will be a great New Year's resolution. All next year, I'm going to work on this. That's the sluggard. He just keeps putting it off. And putting it, he thinks it's a good idea. And this is always a scary thing with, with, with sermons as a whole, I think. Because people hear and they go, yeah, sounds okay. Yeah, it's one day I'll be doing that. But they put it off. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I have other things to do right now. And Solomon says, do that. And poverty will come on you like a bandit. You know, I found about catastrophes and financial crises. They don't send a memo telling you they're going to be here in a month, do they? They just show up. And if you haven't prepared for winter... If when summer was there, you have not been able to, to put anything aside, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bite you. It's just a, a law of wisdom that we live within that Solomon is pointing out. So let me ask you, as you look at your own financial situation, no hands raised. Do you have any red ink? Maybe too much. Do you not have enough black ink? 
what Solomon would, would, would challenge you and I to do, if we're interested in having an understanding of finances that reflect God, would be to allow no sleep to, to our eyes, to not come up with the excuses why it's not going to work, but to start with a plan now. You, you know, just a side point. It's usually not about the debt. And it's usually not about even the size of the savings account. Uh, those things are usually a... Uh, ju- ju- they are, are a reflection of what's really going on in the heart of a commitment to stuffaholism. It's not as if I didn't have a lot of pain here. It would be okay. Still red ink, according to Scripture, is something we need to avoid. Black ink, according to Scripture, is something we need to seek to acquire. And what the, again, the goal of the series, even this morning, is for us to stop and seek to live within the means that God in His sovereignty has given to us and, and seek to, to apply His principles to, to our heart, to our life. Now, if you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm just doing okay. I have no financial issues, no worries. Wonderful. That's wonderful. But you know, especially as we come to the table this morning, that there's another kind of debt that Scripture talks about. Uh, a debt that every one of us is in hot to the Lord in an incredible fashion. He's given us all a moral charge card, basically, as we've gone through life. And every time we would lie or every time we think something we shouldn't think, we're kind of slipping our, our card through the machine. And every time we would not do something that we should do, we're slipping the card through the machine and we're charging up an incredible bill. And we're not having to pay for it right now. So we're thinking, this is fine, but one day we'll stand before God and he'll present us with our bill. I'll say, man, you you racked up quite a bill down there. How are you going to pay for that? We'll be going, all the good works we've got saved up are not going to pay for that bill. And since the only people in heaven are those whose bills are finished, taken up, we don't owe anything, we're in all kinds of trouble. And that's why God stepped down in time and place and said, hey, I'll take that bill. I'll pay for that for you. And Pastor Dave's going to come in just a moment and lead us in memory of that. But let me pray for us. And the worship team will come out and lead us in a verse before we go there in preparation. Lord, thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. And God, I know that as you put Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, you, you wanted them to enjoy the things you've given. But we've often perverted an understanding of gifts and an understanding of enjoyment. Lord, you know that. We become obsessed. We, we replace uh, you out of our heart with those things. And Lord, I pray uh, for myself and my brothers and my sisters here. God, that you would remind us even this week as we go through life. To not be stuffaholics in our heart. Not to honor and worship materialism but to recognize that things have come from you to be enjoyed, but to be used for you. And Lord, you know your, your people here. If there's pain and distress, even now, talking about the, the red ink issues. God, if there are folk who, who are doing fine, but they just don't have anything saved for the winter, I pray, oh God, that you would help us. You would remind us as we go through this, this week today to do that which we need to do in order to honor you in this very, very important arena in the name of Jesus. Amen.